there are times when I see things uh, on the news or read things in the newspaper that I honestly don't know how I would respond if I were in the same position as those who were victimized. Um, not too long ago, and on now on several different occasions right here in South Florida, we, we heard about uh, a drunk driver going the wrong way on the interstate and uh, killing, uh, in the one case out here on the sawgrass, two young ladies, the, uh, the drunk driver had texted before that, too drunk to care. And uh, you know that uh, what, what followed with that, and she's now serving uh, a prison sentence. Um, as a parent, how would you react to that? How would you respond? Wouldn't there be a desire for revenge? What if, what if somebody um, attacked your daughter and um, sexually abused her as she was walking on her way to school, as has also happened down in Miami? How, how would you respond to that? Would, would you, would you want to get even with the person? Would, would you try to take some vengeance? Um, this, this happened to, uh, some of you are familiar with uh, John MacArthur. His nephew uh, was, was murdered by um, a drug addict, probably for the purpose of robbery. And uh, how would you, you look at that and say, uh, boy, this person should not get away with this. There needs to be something happen to them. I remember it wasn't uh, all that long ago that my daughter was a teller in a bank up in West Virginia and uh, a robber came into the bank and put a gun in her face and demanded money from the drawer and I can tell you my when I first heard about this my initial response and please understand my initial response was I'm getting my guns I'm throwing them in the car and I'm going to West Virginia and I'm going to find this guy. Um, he, was, he was prepared for action. He had a glove on one hand. And if any of you are familiar with what that means is he was ready to pull the trigger because that way he would not have any powder residue on his hand if, some, if he had to shoot somebody. The natural response is to, to rise up in what we would call righteous indignation, but it really comes down to basically seeking revenge and wanting to get even with a person that would do something like that. Most of the time, the things that you and I deal with are nothing nearly as dramatic as that. Generally, the things that cause us to want to get even are things that would be of a much lesser impact. Uh, maybe someone insulted you while they were speaking with you, and uh, your your insides tell you, "I'm going to get even with them." And when you have the opportunity to insult them back, you take that opportunity and you get even. Or maybe you've heard of someone who has been gossiping about you, and. Uh, the response is then to begin to lay that person low in your conversations. And uh, you, you could put into that scenario any number of different ways that we can be offended and have uh, uh, things done against us for which we would seek revenge. 
one of the most difficult passages we have to deal with in God's Word is this passage that we're looking at today because it flies directly in opposition to the natural response, to the natural desires that we would have to try to get even when somebody hurts us. Go back, if you will, please, to the book of Romans, chapter 12, and look with me there at verse 14 initially, where we're given this advice, this directive. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. All right, we, we have now the, the foundation stone for what is going to follow, beginning down there in verse 17, where the writer says, Repay no one evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. Well, now this is where the rub comes. Our natural response is to give back what we got. I want to get even with you. And in fact, oftentimes I'm not even satisfied with just getting even. I want to punish you for what you did to me or what you've said about me. And so when we turn to this passage, we realize that humanly speaking, we really can't deal with this. There is something that has to be done where the Spirit of God becomes involved in our response and He is the one who gives us the right way to react to those things that come our way no matter how minor nor how large. When God's Spirit does a work within us, He helps us understand and He helps us accomplish this most difficult directive. Notice how the Lord addresses the issue specifically there in verse 17 about our testimony's sake. He says this, Repay no one evil for evil, have regard for good things in the sight of all men. What happens when we return evil for evil? Well, if we are those who are calling ourselves followers of Christ, and we embrace the truths that Christ had, and, and we have one of the greatest examples of Christ's willingness to allow himself to be wronged as we've come to this season of the year. You, you remember how the disciples wanted to rise up against those who were going to arrest Christ. And he looked at them and he, and he said, Don't you know that I could call upon my Father and he would send a, a dozen legions of angels and they would come and they would deliver me? No, no, no. This is not the time. There is a better way to handle the things that are unfolding. And of course, what he did was he went to the cross on our behalf. Christ knew what was coming. And he understood how on a human level there would be the reaction for revenge. But that's not what he did. For us, when things come our way and we have a desire for revenge, if we act upon that, we essentially betray what we have said we are committed to as followers of Christ. People who have a heart that is willing to forgive. Because that's why Christ went to the cross for us. So that we could be forgiven. We have, we have a desire to seek revenge on those who hurt us. But what happens is, people who know that we're followers of Christ and watch us say, well, you're no better than the person who offended you. If you respond and you react in, in a way of vengeance, then you're just like the other person. There's really no difference. And so Paul calls upon us, 
in this passage, and he says, repay no one evil for evil. Instead, reinforce your testimony with that which is good. As he goes on there in the 17th verse, he says, have regard for good things in the sight of all men. What he is talking about is our willingness to take that which is an offense against us and not to respond in such a way as to give offense back. We're talking about a hurtful response. We're talking about that which is designed for the purpose of bringing the other person down. And he says, no. He says, the way to defend your testimony the way to maintain a, a, a declaration of life that is consistent with what your words say is to respond with good to the person who offends you. Does that come naturally? Oh my goodness, that is so hard to do. It is so hard to bless those who persecute us because we have the idea that we are pretty, um, pretty just in our evaluation of the way people have responded to us or the way people have treated us. And so the Lord says, look to that which is of a divine nature. Allow the Spirit of God to work within you the way he worked even within the Son of God. Do you remember when Christ was hanging on the cross? And I know that you do. And he said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Could you imagine being in that type of a situation? Experiencing one of the most degrading, one of the most painful, one of the most torturous methods of death, which, by the way, generally speaking, crucifixion could last for days. Were you aware of that? You could live for days hanging on the cross. And the way people died was not because of the nails that were driven through their hands and through their feet, but they ultimately lost strength after several days and could no longer stand and allow themselves to get breath. And then they would go back down and then they would begin to lose their breath again. Then they would stand and they would breathe. That's why they broke the legs of the thieves that were next to Christ. Do you remember how they broke their legs? Well, you don't die from a broken leg but you die from asphyxiation. And so when their legs were broken, they couldn't stand anymore, and so they, they would die. And, and Christ, of course, having fulfilled all that the Father sent him to do in dying for our sins, gave up his spirit, and he was dead when the soldier came and drove the spear into his side. Yet he cried, in that situation, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. And you would look at that and you would say, well, Pastor, he, he, he was the Son of God. Of course he will do something like that. How in the world would you expect someone that is frail and weak and sinful, such as myself, to respond that way? And we don't have to go much further in the Scriptures from the time of the crucifixion of Christ to a man by the name of Stephen who took a stand for the truth of the gospel of Christ, and as a result of that, was condemned without trial, condemned by the meanness and the reaction of the crowd. He was condemned to death, and they grabbed stones, and they began to stone him. And do you remember what he said as he was dying? Father, don't lay this sin to charge. Returning good for evil. You all set to do that? You've been good at it? 
Have, have you acted that way this week? It's easy for us, it's easy for me to tell you these things from the Word of God. And it's much harder to do them, isn't it? And yet this is what God calls us to. Don't return evil for evil, but instead extend good. He goes on in the 18th verse to tell us this. He says, If it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Now, one of the things that he is asking us to do now is to bring down the heat of the flame, the heat of the fire of that which stirs up the anger and the vengeance within us. And he's saying, I want you to live at peace, to bring things down from a high level of tension and a high level of heat and bring it down to an area where you will be at peace. Why? Because the God that we worship is a God of peace. That's one of the wonderful things about knowing the God of heaven through Christ. There is coming for us, though we don't live in it now, a a world of peace, a place in which there will not be the conflict. But we will be at home with our God, who is a God of peace, in which peace will dwell for all eternity. And he looks at us and he says, I want you to be people of peace. I want you to pursue peace. I want you to run after it. And so when he tells us about pursuing this matter of peace, he is basically basically telling us to be consistent with the character of who he is. And then, to, to amplify that, is to carry the message of peace. Do you realize that the message that you and I have to carry to a world that's dead in trespasses and sins is a message of peace? It's peace with God. Do you know where you were before you accepted Christ, if you've accepted Him? The Bible says you were God's enemy. You were at enmity with him. He could look upon you in peace because of the sacrifice of Christ. He is the propitiation for our sins so that the Father could look upon sinful mankind through the eyes of peace. But we didn't want anything to do with him. And some of you may still not want anything to do with him. You might be here today and you've been listening to messages week after week, and your, your heart might say there's some truth to what is being said there, and there are things that are good. I sure want to live a good life, and you don't realize you are still at enmity with God. You are His enemy. But the message that we have to proclaim is a message of peace. Do you know how you can be at peace with God? Come to Him through His Son, whose sacrifice at the cross of Calvary paid the penalty of your sin, and when Christ said, it is finished, the full sacrifice, the full payment, the full punishment had been given for your sin, so that there does not need to be the infliction of justice upon you, because the justice that our sin required was inflicted upon the person of Jesus Christ. And now we come to Him through faith and we trust in Him as our Savior and we are brought into a relationship of peace with God. Now we are at peace with Him. Isn't it a great thing to be at peace with God? 
You know what? We live in a world today. Are you a little bit worried about all the stuff that's going on politically? There's no peace in politics. This, you, you read this stuff that's going on with Trump's whatever they are, his, his gatherings, and the people are fighting with each other. And then you, you hear about what's happening on the Democratic side where, where you have people who are sweeping under the, the rug the, the, the infractions that they have committed and the things that they've done that are wrong. And you look and you say, you know what, I'm just going to tell you the truth. I have no idea who I'm going to vote for. Okay, I, I just have no idea. And I'm looking at our country and I'm saying, we are going down the tubes very, very quickly. But you know what? It's okay. Because I'm at peace with my God. And you can be at peace with God too. Now that doesn't mean I'm not going to try my best as an American to preserve who we are as a people in, in a republic where we have democratic, not the party, but the, the philosophy. We have democratic values. And we live in a country that is based upon the declarations that are made within our Constitution. And, and so I don't want anyone to think that I am demeaning the importance of what is happening in our politics. I just can't identify with any of it. I'm looking at it right now and saying, my gracious, what are we going to do? Do any of you want to run for president? I'll vote for you. Well, not Luke. Uh, <laughs> I'm just kidding. It's just, we're not living in a world of peace. And then, by the way, don't, don't read too carefully about what's going on in North Korea. And don't look too closely about what's happening with Putin in Russia. And kind of ignore the stuff that's going on in Syria. Because you're going to get really, really nervous. Unless you know the God of peace who has all things under his control and will do all things right. That's the message of peace that we have. And you know what the Lord says about peacemakers? He says that they are people who are blessed. They are a people, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. That's one of the things that separates us from the world. We are a people of peace. We don't like fighting. We don't like bickering. We don't like war. We don't like the things that are at odds with one person against another. No, we want there to be peace. And do you know who the peacemakers can be? Us. We are the peacemakers. That person that offended you, deal with it biblically. Don't seek revenge. Don't look to hurt the other person. Instead, follow the pattern that the Lord has given us to be peacemakers. And in addition to that, he says this, you may not succeed. Because notice what he says there in verse 19. Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to... Uh, wait, 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 wait. Verse 18, sorry. Verse 18, back up. If it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Let me tell you something. Some people won't be able to accept the peaceful overtures you make toward them. 
Have you ever tried to deal with somebody that's been an offense to you and you've tried to follow the pattern that we're talking about here in being kind to them and they throw it all back in your face? Have you ever had that happen? Uh, I'm seeing some of you shake your heads. Maybe some of you haven't experienced that, and that's fine. If you haven't experienced that, that, that's great. I'm, I'm glad you haven't. But there are times you do your best to live at peace with someone, and they're not going to have any part of it. For one reason or another, they don't want to be at peace. They might not like you personally. And believe it or not, there might be people who do not like you personally. That, that is a possibility. I can't understand that about myself. But the truth of the matter is, there are people that just are not going to be affected. And do you know what the Lord requires of us at that point? To continue to love them. To continue to treat them with kindness and respect. To continue to show to them the grace that God has extended to you. To be willing to forgive them, even if they retaliate. And even if they, well, retaliate would be the wrong word because that means they're getting back at you for something you did. Don't do anything for which they should retaliate. But they may still do harm. And the Lord says, as much as is in you, you live at peace with all men. Does that mean we should all be able to get along in here? By the way, let me ask you a question. This just came to mind. Has anybody come to mind as I've been talking about these things? Have you, have you, have you pictured an antagonist? Have, have you seen someone that you would look at and say, mm, when's he going to shut up? I'm not going to. Then this is for you. I've had people say to me, Pastor, you preached that message at me today. And, and I have never tried to preach a message at anyone other than myself. Some people have come to mind during some passages. But I've never tried to do that. But here's the thing. If you can think of somebody, this is for you. Because right now, that's the one who will test your obedience to what God has declared. Will you treat them with love and kindness and respect the way God intends. They may not respond well. That isn't your problem. Your issue is to treat them the way the Lord intends. Their issue now is between them and the Lord. He handles things much better than we do. There are times when you can't find peace because you would have to sacrifice truth for peace. Within the Christian community today, you will hear people say, well, how come Christians can't get along? How come one group of Christians can't get along with another group of, of Christians? And sadly, that can be true within the realm of those who would be Bible-believing Christians. For some reason, they can't get along. They have fights. There's, there's difficulties. You all know that churches have split. And, and the, the trouble that that creates for testimony and the hardships that that creates for the people within the, the congregations, those things should not be. There, there's always something selfish behind those things. But there are times when there are issues that are too great for which we cannot live at peace with others. Um, 
One of the things, if any of you, those of you who have come through the uh, prospective members class, you know that one of the things we talk about is the ecumenical movement. And for younger people today, that probably doesn't mean a whole lot. But for those of us who are a little bit more um, weathered, a little more mature, we remember the days in which there was this great movement, and, it, and it's still going on today, to try to bring churches back together again into a unified body, to, to bring all of the uh, non-Catholic churches back together in unity, and the Catholic Church viewing this as the opportunity then to have the wayward child come back to the mother church. Okay? That, that's really what's behind all this to bring all non-Catholics back under the authority of the Mother Church. So what you have is this movement, this ecumenical thing. Why can't we just all get together and we will agree on the things upon which we agree? And the things upon which we don't agree, we, we, we're just going to have to let those go. And so you begin to ask, well, what are the things upon which we don't agree? And they might say something like this. Well, we, we really don't believe that God created the heavens and the earth in a seven-day period. Or we don't believe that there was a universal flood. We believe that the flood was really, the story of the flood was a story that was designed to help us understand that, that God was angry with the whole of mankind and, and so forth. Okay, well, we got a problem. We believe that that stuff is true. And, and we don't apologize for that. And then they come down to this. Well, we don't believe that Jesus is God. We believe that he was a good man and that, that we should follow his example. Let me tell you something, folks. We will never get along with those people. We will never be able to get along with them. Now, can we live peacefully and respectfully? Yes, and I will treat respectfully those who deny the deity of Christ, but I will not give one inch to their philosophy and their belief because we cannot embrace those things that are fundamental truths that are taught by the Word of God to which we adhere not only for our sense of well-being now, but for our understanding of all that's required within the realm of obedience to our God. I believe that Jesus Christ... That, that song, uh, I believe in the Father, I believe in the Son, I believe in the Spirit, the three-in-one. I do! God is a tripartite person, or I should say deity who manifested himself in Father, Son, and Spirit. Therefore, I can't get along with anybody that doesn't agree with that. Because that's the... Well, I shouldn't say I can't get along with them. I can be nice to them. But I'm not going to cooperate. I'm not going to lock arms with them. Neither should you. Now, you're going to deal with people in your neighborhood who don't believe those things. And you should be kind and respectful and stand true to the Word of God. Because you can't save anybody anyway. Only He can. Well, do you understand what I'm saying when we talk about peacemakers aren't always successful? The Lord says, as much as it is in you, as much as it depends on you, live peacefully 
with all men. And then he goes on to another realm in which for the sake of justice we should get along and not seek revenge and not seek to respond inappropriately to offenses that come our way. Verse 19, Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. For the sake of justice, we must allow ourselves to be controlled by the Spirit of God when someone brings offense to us. Why is that? Well, it's because you and I, as much as we like the idea that we think we are pretty just in the way we think, our concept of justice is all often clouded. Um, Christians have a tendency to be very, very sensitive to injustice. Have you noticed that? Have any of you ever played in a church basketball league? I have never seen anything like it. Honestly, we... Oh, my. When I was younger and able to play basketball... Now, now some of you are my age and you can still play basketball. Right, Greg? Still a three-point shooter? Yes? No? I can't hear you. Yes. Reg, you still play? You don't play? The knee's giving you trouble? Yeah, you're getting old. Uh, as am I. <laughs> if you've ever played in a, a, a church basketball league and someone commits a foul, it is as if the unpardonable sin has been committed. Honestly. Some of you are sitting there very stone-faced, and, and you're acting like this. You, you've never done anything like this. I've watched Christian teams come mm, this close to punching it out on the basketball court because the referee was unjust, and he missed that foul. We want justice, don't we? But we want it from our point of view. And you know the problem with our point of view? It's always clouded. We always look at things... Fr- I know I mean well. I don't know that you mean well. So I'm always going to give myself the benefit of the doubt. Right? It, don't you respond that way too? Or am I the only one? No, we always give ourselves the benefit of the doubt because we know, listen, I really mean well. I'm really a nice person. I would never do anything that is inappropriate or unkind. I'm a good guy. You're the problem. And so now our sense of justice becomes clouded because we have this perception about ourselves as opposed to the way we perceive others because you all don't always mean well. You're just mean at times. And you know I'm using hyperbole. My judgment becomes clouded because of who I am as a sinful person. And then add to that this fact. I don't know all the facts. There are times when people will do things that seem to be offensive, 
But it really wasn't. It's just that the circumstances under which they were responding called for them to do a certain thing which I personally didn't care for. Therefore, I am not in a position to mete out justice. Do you know what that means? I'm not the judge of you. Now, am I responsible to judge sin? Whether it's in myself, or if I see a brother sinning, I have the responsibility to help that person deal with that sin. But I cannot read your heart, nor do I have a knowledge of all of the circumstances. So the best course of action is to do exactly what the Lord has said and to allow Him to be the one who is the judge. And you'll notice when He talks to us about it being His prerogative, there are times that God gives, uh, by extension, the right to pass judgment. The illustrations that I used with you earlier on at the very beginning of the service that were really nightmares. Um, God has established a system of justice. It's called the law. And the woman who killed the other two gals in that head-on collision is in prison and rightfully so. Our government, which by the way he's going to address in chapter 13, our government has passed judgment and they have the right to exercise legal retribution for those who commit such acts. The person who takes the life of another by virtue of their own choice. They have to answer to the law. But there are times when it's not a matter of a legal infraction, but it's a matter of personal infraction. And this is where the Lord says, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. You and I do not have the right to step in and become the judge, the jury, and the executioner of a person who has violated our feelings. Do you understand that if we lived this way, how much unity there would be among the body of Christ? Wouldn't that be a great thing? By the way, I don't know of disunity in this body. And I can't tell you how grateful I am for that. But let's guard against it. Let's not be sloppy. Let's remember what the Lord has said. Because people in our church are going to offend you. They're going to do things and they're going to say things that are offensive. And the Lord says, now listen, you treat that person with kindness. Go back up to verse 14, where he says this, Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. With your attitude, you demonstrate to others that you genuinely love them by virtue of your changed heart because of knowing Christ as your Savior. And in addition to that, you demonstrate it through your actions. When we are true followers of Christ, we will treat each other kindly. When we're true followers of Christ, others will see within us a love that is not seen in the world around us. And when we do that, you say, wait a minute, this is putting all of the pressure on my shoulders. Guess what? It's not all on your shoulders. The Lord says, if you will respond this way, my way, 
to those who bring offense, let me tell you what I'm going to do for you. Listen to what he says in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. Do not repay evil for evil, or insult with insult, but with blessing, because to this you were called, so that you might inherit a blessing. Do you know what God says? When you live this way, I will bless you. I will, I will pay you back for the way you respond to people who inappropriately do things that are offensive to you, that hurt you, and you respond the right way. God says this, you do it the right way and I'll take care of you. Wouldn't that be a great place to be? Isn't that better than getting revenge? Isn't that better than getting even with someone? Far better. Then he goes on to say down here at verse 20, and, and this, this often, this, this creates some problems. It says, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. What does he mean by that? If your enemy is hungry, feed him. Treat him nicely. If he is thirsty, give him a drink. Oh, because look at what's coming next. For in so doing, you will heap coals of fire on his head. Some people look at that and they say, you know what? If I treat that person really kindly, it'll just make them more and more angry. That is not what God is talking about. Do you understand that? The idea is that you do a favor. The, 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 in the Eastern culture, to be able to have coals in order to start your fires, they, they didn't have Zippos. Okay, uh, they, they, they would keep fire going and you would put fire upon someone's the, the, whatever the little container was that they carry so that they could start a fire for themselves. That's why he says in the final verse, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Now I'm going to do you a favor. You need fire. I'll help you out. Here, let me help you. You hungry? Here, I've, I got, I've, I've got uh, an extra sandwich here in my pocket. It's been there for two weeks. It's tuna salad. Are you thirsty? Here, I've got a bottle of fresh water here. You take this. You need a fire to get your house warm and to cook your meals? Let me, let me give you some of these calls. So you don't be overcome by evil, but you overcome evil with good. Isn't that a great way to live? You take your enemy and you make him your friend. Great way to live. Let's stand. Father, we are so thankful that your word though it's so contrary to the natural way we think, though it challenges us at every turn, and the natural responses that we are so unworthy of our calling ourselves Christ. This is your people to be kind to one another, not to seek vengeance, not to try to get even, but to demonstrate love and compassion 
to everyone for the glory of Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. God bless you.